Thank you, Matt, and uh, thank you, Nancy. We take for granted sometimes these people that we ask on a regular basis to serve in this particular capacity. We become so dependent on them and often take them for granted, so thanks is long overdue to all of you. Well, good morning and welcome once again to our family Bible Hour. It was really nice to see some new faces this week, and uh, I trust that all of you enjoyed uh, this Christmas holiday as you celebrated it with your family and your friends. And how wonderful it is to know the one who made it all possible in the first place, the Lord Jesus Christ. For without him and his sacrifice for all our sins on the cross of Calvary, we would still be lost, dying, and without hope. There would be nothing to look forward to in life. It would be a futile attempt at a meager existence, void of purpose and direction. But praise be to God that there is purpose in life, and there is someone who has a plan for each one of us. And there is a blessed hope awaiting all who have entrusted their souls into his hands and have received the full forgiveness of all their sins. And so with those thoughts in mind, let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 46, verses 1 to 34, which will be our main text for this morning. And thank you once again, Luke, for reading this most difficult passage in its entirety. Uh, you did a very good job. Uh, Names are very difficult when we come to them in Scripture because often they have different phonetic uh, pronunciations to them than we would pronounce them. But we do our best, and as long as we get names like Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac correct, we're okay. So thank you, Luke, once again. It was quite a difficult passage uh, to begin with. But as always, let's first turn to the Lord in prayer. Before we begin our message, Father, we are so thankful to be here once again this morning. We're thankful for the time that thou hast blessed us with our families this past Christmas. And Lord, again, as we open thy word this morning, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to enlighten our understanding and speak to us and let us know what he would have us to do. For we ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and to his glory. Amen. In our previous message on Genesis chapter 45, we left Joseph and his brothers happily reunited with Joseph. And Joseph, unable to restrain himself any longer, revealed his identity to his brothers. It was a most heart-wrenching yet very heartwarming scene of reconciliation and reunion of brothers long separated by both distance and by difficult circumstances. And in that precious scene of both forgiveness and reconciliation, we are told of God's purpose in all of this. Joseph, whose heart, after all he had endured at the hands of his brother, or his brothers, and all that he had endured 
in Egypt, his affliction, affliction there, was still tender and gracious towards his brethren. His love for his God would not allow him to harbor any ill will towards them. And so he reveals to them that it was God who sent him into Egypt to preserve not only their lives, but the lives of many nations. Genesis 45, 5-9. And that it was God's purpose all along to make him ruler of Egypt in order to achieve that end. That is, to prosper Jacob and his brethren, thereby fulfilling his promise to Abraham to make of him a great nation, etc. They are promised the best land of Egypt and Joseph's provision and protection while they are there. They were to bring Jacob back to Egypt with all of his household, and there they would survive the great famine, which still had some five more years to endure. They are sent home back to Jacob with much silver, raiment, asses laden with corn and bread and meat and wagons to carry Jacob back with all his household and his servants and grandchildren, etc. Joy filled Jacob's heart as he learned of this wonderful news that Joseph, his long-lost son, was still alive. And chapter 45 ends with verse 28. And Israel said, It is enough, Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. As the 46th chapter of Genesis opens, we see Jacob already packed and traveling on his journey with his entire household. He comes to Beersheba, where he stops and offers sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. Now please notice the importance of this solemn act of worship on Jacob's part. We need to remember that Jacob was very old at this stage. He was about 130 years old. There were many fears and apprehensions which uh, beset him at that age. Would he be able to make the journey at his age? It was quite a dangerous trek with such a huge, perhaps very ill-defended caravan of livestock, servants, and women and children. Would they all arrive there safely? How would they be received when they arrived there? And what about God's promise concerning the promised land? It didn't include Egypt. If he died in Egypt, where would he be buried? And so on. And these were all legitimate concerns. And so he stops at Beersheba to offer sacrifices. Now Beersheba was the place where his father Abraham called on God in Genesis 21:33. And Beersheba was where his father Isaac also built an altar in Genesis 26:25 and called upon the Lord. This would then be Jacob's place of communion and devotion as well. He would meet with God before he would go any further. And herein lies a good lesson for each of us and an admonition as well. 
We should always inquire of God before we set out to do this or to do that, especially if we must travel great distances. For often we set out on a mission without God's guidance or blessing, and we all know how those things end. We're also reminded in Scripture that we are to give God thanks for everything and in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and Ephesians 5.20 Though we are not told what Jacob inquired of the Lord here in particular, we can be reasonably assured that he was thankful that he would see Joseph once again. He also would have offered these sacrifices up in the hope of forgiveness of any sins that he may have committed or may commit along the way. Don't forget that his father Isaac was forbidden to go down to Egypt in Genesis 26, verse 2, when there was a famine. And this may have weighed very heavily on Jacob's mind. It may have been his turning point. Shall I go on to Egypt or shall I turn back? And almost immediately, God answered Jacob later that night in a vision as we read in verse 2. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. What an incredible answer Jacob received that night. Go down to Egypt, Jacob. It's okay. It's part of my plan. Don't be afraid. I've got it covered. Secondly, God reaffirms his covenant promise, which he made to Abraham and Isaac. I will make you a great nation, Jacob. I haven't forgotten my promise. Thirdly, God tells him that he is going down with him. God is with him. And if that be the case, what is there to fear? And fourthly, God tells him that Joseph shall put his hand upon his eyes. In other words, Joseph will see him again. And Jacob will see Joseph again. But not only that, Joseph will be by his side when Jacob passes away. And it will be Joseph who will close Jacob's eyes when he dies. Joseph will take care of his burial. Jacob, having now God's full assurance and blessings, arises from Beersheba, and we are told in verse 5, the sons of Jacob carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. The whole household of Jacob finally arrives in Egypt. Then the next portion of scripture, verses 8 to 27, records for us the genealogy of Jacob's family and all the sons of Jacob and their sons and daughters and even grandchildren in some cases as well.
We're told in verse 27 that the total number of souls that went down to Egypt were threescore and ten. In other words, seventy. And out of these seventy souls, God would make a great nation out of Jacob one day. Now, we don't have the time to go into all of those names mentioned here in particular, except to say that since they are mentioned and they are very important, and we will come across many of them again in our future studies. But for now, let's move on to verse 28, please. And he sent Judah before him onto Joseph. That is, Jacob sends Judah ahead of the rest of the caravan. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Verse 30. And Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Please notice how respectful Jacob is of his new neighbors and government. He would not enter Egypt secretly and abuse the hospitality shown them, but instead he sends Judah, the one who had mediated the process, to announce to Joseph that his father had arrived. By so doing, Jacob shows great respect to his new governors and avoids giving offense to the higher powers. Secondly, notice carefully the respect that Joseph pays his father Jacob and how he honors him. Remember that this is no longer the Joseph who was ridiculed by his brethren and so cruelly mistreated. But this was now the ruler of all of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh of Egypt. This was the one before whom everyone else bowed the knee and acknowledged their servitude to him. We read how Joseph's humility shines through his long-awaited-for reception of his father Jacob. Verse 29, And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. What a moving scene this must have been and what love and affection there was between father and son after all these years how Joseph still loved his father. Time and circumstances did not wear out the sense of Joseph's obligations to his father and to his family by extension. And the tears which he shed upon his father's neck for joy to see him again reflected the sincerity and the depth of his affection for his father. Do you see how Near, sorrow and joy are connected, for tears are constantly shed for both. When Joseph embraced Benjamin, 
In Genesis 45, 14, we are told that he, Joseph, fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. But here we read that Joseph fell upon Jacob's neck and wept upon his neck a good while. His brother Benjamin was dear to Joseph, but how much dearer was his father Jacob to him? Finally, notice what Jacob utters in verse 30. Now that I have seen you, now that I know you are still alive and well, let me die. And what Jacob meant by this was that the only thing that perhaps had weighed on his mind all those years was his longing to see Joseph once again. Though the odds of that ever happening were almost impossible, Jacob still may have had that faint glitter of hope. And now that he has seen Joseph once again, his dream has been fulfilled, and so he is ready to die. But God is the one who decides whether we live or die. We are told in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And then in that same Psalm, Psalm 90, verse uh, 10, we read that the days of our years are threescore and ten. And if we have more, it is only by the grace of God. Our times are in the hands of God and not in our hands. We must die when it pleases God and not when we wish to. In the closing four verses, verses 31 to 34, Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. Verse 32. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptian. Notice carefully that Joseph will first of all meet with Pharaoh to inform him of the arrival of Jacob and his whole household so that Pharaoh might be properly appraised of the present circumstances of his new guests. Joseph also instructs Jacob and his servants that when Pharaoh calls them to talk to them, and asks them what occupation they have, they are to tell him the truth, even though every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptian. In verse 34. For that reason, they may be allowed to dwell in the land of Goshen, which lay very close to Canaan, and perhaps may have also been less densely populated by Egyptians was a very rich pastured land ideally suited 
for raising cattle and feeding flocks. Joseph wanted his family separated from the rest of the Egyptians so that they might be spared much contempt and much malice of the Egyptian because of their occupation as shepherds. He did not want his family to be ashamed and ridiculed for their livelihood, but he wanted them to continue in the trade of their fathers, for it was an honest occupation, and one which God had been pleased to bless and abundantly prosper them in. And so we come to the end of our chapter in the story of Jacob's journey to Egypt. And Lord willing, we'll continue with Genesis 47 in our next message sometime in the future. But as always, you know, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Do you also have a relationship, a personal relationship, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? For he is not only the Jehovah God of the Old Testament, but he is also the God of the New Testament. He is Jesus Christ, the only Savior of all mankind. We have all just finished celebrating Christmas, a time of happy family reunions, the giving of gifts and wonderful turkey dinners and so on. But all of those wonderful things are meaningless in the light of eternity, if we know not Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. And then in Ephesians 2, 8-9, we are reminded that by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you believed this with all your heart? Sadly enough, there are many today who say they are Christians, who can quote all the right verses, who can say all the right things, who do many wonderful things in his name, but have never been born again of the Spirit of God and are sadly still on the way to hell. Oh, I trust that there is no one here this morning who is unsure of where he or she stands before Christ. But if perchance there is but one, won't you turn from your sins this morning while there is still yet time and trust Jesus Christ and his shed blood on Calvary's cross to cleanse you from all your sins, and to receive you into his kingdom. He and he alone can give you that new spiritual birth. Just as he told Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, he is saying it to you today. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And listen to the Apostle Paul's words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for this story of Joseph and his brethren. We thank thee that through it we learn that God always keeps his promises. That God's plans sometimes may take a long time to put into proper perspective but that it will always be fulfilled if God has decreed it so. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged by this account of Joseph and his brethren. Help us to be encouraged each day as we open thy scriptures and read thy wonderful promises to us, knowing that God who cannot lie will perform all that he has said that he will do. Part us now with thy blessings, dear Lord, and keep us from sin's ways, we pray. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us all together again around his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen.